Welcome to Authors Matters, a podcast from the Authors Licensing and Collecting Society. I'm Caroline Sanderson, and I'm a writer and books journalist. In this episode of Authors Matters, we talk to Sita Brahmachari. Sita is the author of novels, short stories and plays for children and young people and for adults. Her debut novel, Artichoke Hearts, published in 2011, won the Waterstones Children's Book Prize. Since then, she's received numerous other awards and accolades, with her latest novel, When Shadows Fall, shortlisted for the 2023 Yoto Carnegie Medal for Writing. Sita was also shortlisted for the 2022 Ruth Rendell Award for Services to Literacy, which is run by ALCS and the National Literacy Trust. Sita has also been an Amnesty International Child Rights Champion, and Amnesty have also endorsed many of her books. Sita, very warm welcome to Authors Matters. It's a real pleasure to have you with us. You've written from childhood, I was always searching for the nuanced, complex and often beautiful representations of families, cultures and histories that I had experienced growing up, but seldom found in literature or the arts. Is that something that really drove you to become a writer? Tell us a bit about your background and how your writing started. Well, th- well thank you very much for, for having me here. That, that strikes me as a very true chord to my own childhood. I often talk about writing into childhood and I feel very connected with my own childhood sensibility as a reader. Growing up, um, you know, my father was from India. I came to this country in 1959 to be a doctor in the National Health Service. My mum, a nurse from the Lake District, and uh, had a beautiful kind of rural uh, upbringing. And then we would go to Calcutta to see my family in India. And I had a kind of sort of split idea about storytelling. And I didn't connect by Indian cultural heritage and going to see my cousins and dancing in the Madan in Calcutta and all of those things that I did as quite a sort of extrovert in my in that cultural heritage. I'd be writing diaries and journals and then I'd go to school and I kind of wouldn't bring any of that into the school. I didn't see my family reflected in the stories that I was reading or the curriculum in the school. And I think it sort of turned me into quite a, a shy child at school um, so that the teachers didn't, I think, think of me as a writer or somebody who was particularly interested in expressing myself artistically. And yet at home, I'd be kind of, you know, making up stories all of the time. And I think it was quite a personal journey for me. But perhaps if there had been more representation at that time in terms of stories that I could get my hands on, I would have seen those reflections and thought, oh, someone like me might be a writer. But I didn't kind of stack that up as a child. That's such a vivid and personal story about this thing we hear about, you know, how important it is for children, you know, children of all backgrounds to see them reflected in, in literature and in the arts more widely. So it's so interesting to hear you talk about that, how that was for you. There was, a, there was something that happened um, recently. I, I, I um, published a book with Jane Ray, uh, the wonderful illustrator who I work with at the Islington Centre for Refugees and Migrants, have worked with for almost a decade now there. And we've published books together, and one of the books is Corey's Rock, um, which is set on Orkney. And there's it was kind of a memory, really, a recall of a visit to Orkney when we were children and standing on a rock with my dad. And my dad would be looking out to sea, and I remembered my dad saying, um, oh, you know, whenever I see the sea, I always think of home. 
and I, and the little girl Sita was kind of thinking, oh, but aren't we home? You know, so those thoughts that I have and I write about in my stories were there. But then it was it was really my first opportunity to have a really fully illustrated book. So Jane, who is a great friend now, she she said, come and see the spreads. And I'd never experienced this before. And and she said, you know, what do you think? And there was one image of a father and a daughter standing on a rock looking out to sea. And I don't know how she intuited it, but the child looks exactly like I looked as a child. And I just burst into tears. And Jane said, oh, because she's so lovely, Jane. She said, oh, if you're, if you're not happy with them, Sita, I'll redo them. <laughs> and, um, and I just said, no, it's just reminded me so viscerally mm. how that felt to kind of not have a place to have those conversations mm. outside of my own family, to not be able to go and talk to someone in the playground or talk to a teacher and say, oh, you know, there's this thing about home and home here and home there, and this is a big thing I want to write about, but there wasn't somewhere to put it. And so I've talked about diversity and children's books and mirrors and windows, and obviously I've written these stories, which are really about, for me, uh, this huge diasporic population of characters that I've wanted to, that have been my friends and people I've worked with, that I've wanted to place in my books. But to feel that so viscerally, what that child felt like by seeing that image, sometimes image does that, doesn't it? It really just made me think, oh, yeah, that's this isn't a kind of political conversation. That's just a truth about what it takes for a child to feel like they belong in the world of story. It's a it's spine tingling sort of story, even for me. So you're very diverse in the genres that you work in as well. And I wondered whether that was because it's the way that you like it or is it the way that you sort of glue together a living as a writer? Because most of us writers have to do various things to make a living. So is it sort of deliberate? Is it just how it's happened? It's really interesting because I've never thought about writing in a genre. I've never, I've never... You know, I never set off to write a book thinking this is going to be this genre. And from the first, you know, writing Artichoke Hearts, it's interesting that that was a diary. And I had spent many years sort of secretly writing diaries and journals. So it was just a form that just came to me very easily. And so quite a few of the stories that I've written have been in first person narrative, which I was very familiar with writing in from childhood. And then I think as you develop as a writer, you also want to challenge yourself. And you think, oh, what would it be like now to step into this kind of narrative? Or I've never really, with Where the River Runs Gold, for example, which is a near future environmental novel, I hadn't actually read any novels within that genre. I hadn't particularly read sort of um, dystopian novels or science fiction novels. Or it hadn't been a genre that I'd been interested in particularly. It was just... I wanted to place my characters in a world in the near future and, and I wanted to imagine what that would be like for them. And then the story unfolds from there. I've, I think I've been incredibly lucky to have some amazing editors of my work. And they're always the people who, by the time I've written the story and the draft of the story, they say, oh, well, this is the genre that you're writing in. And they sort of tell me that. And then I go, oh, is it? So they've had the eye on that more than me. Um, but then it's been really interesting to learn about them. I think we are, as writers, we 
now um, young adult children, um, sort of 26, 24 and 18, um, they've lived with me through my writing journey. And uh, and they were always like, wow, mom, you know, what, where are you, where are you going now with your, your storytelling? And I'm like, well, I just, I just have to keep interested. And it was, I remember one day I was with my second novel, I was going out to interview Nihal, who's a wonderful um, uh, radio journalist and now writer. And uh, my son was like, well, what, what do you, he knew Nihal because my son likes music and is now a DJ and stuff. And he was like, oh, you're going to meet Nihal. Oh, okay. Well, why are you going to be? I said, well, I'm going to talk about the dubstep DJ character who's working out of derelict houses in old Calcutta. He was like, but mum, you don't know anything about this. I was like, no, but I'm a writer, so that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to find out about it. He was like, well, what are you going to do? And I was like, well, I might go to some dubstep DJ J clubs or whatever. He's going, you're going to go today? I was going, I might do. He's going, oh, are you going to wear those clothes? So embarrassing. <laughs> I was like, but... It doesn't matter. I'm a writer. I'm going into these worlds. And quite often when I'm in front of young people, I say, do I look like the sort of person that might know about dubstep DJ? And they go, no, no. I say, but I'm a writer. So if I have to, I do and I will. And I feel like that about writing. It's like every book that I set out to write is feels like a new adventure. Love that access yeah. all areas. It's like <laughs> undercover, so no one would ever think that you were a writer. Yes, and you've written a lot for the theatre as well, which is a, a different process because it's so collaborative, isn't it? I always think of my work in theatre as very collaborative, where I nurtured a lot of young people to tell their stories in youth theatre. So I never thought of those stories as, as my stories. I mean, it was probably part of my learning journey as a writer. And, you know, was just really lucky to have worked with some amazing and watched a lot of amazing writers working with young people. And I learned from them. I always think of the theatre work as being the same thing as the work that I've been doing with uh, novel writing. It's There isn't a sort of like, and I do theatre and I do novels and I do, it's kind of, it's kind of, for me, it's all very, very connected. <laughs> It's striking, though, that there's this thread of working with young people and listening to young people and collaborating with them and getting to know them. I mean, obviously, you have children of your own. But for a children's writer, that's that's so important, isn't it, to sort of embed yourselves in, in the concerns of young people and, and the the way the world appears to them at the age that they are now and all the issues that we have that we're dealing with. And there's so many themes that, that thread their way through your work as the consequences, um, culture and history and environmentalism and refugee rights. You, you mentioned your work with refugees and migrants and themes of identity and belonging. But I know that you see as a major theme of your work the, the sort of rites of passage moments in young people's lives, those sort of turning points. So why are those so compelling for you to write about? I think the rites of passage connects the the child story to the adult story. I think every adult can remember those, I call them forging moments, where, you know, your life could go one way or another way, the choices that you make at those points or the intensity of the feelings either propel you forward or make life more difficult for you. And we all, as adults, no matter how old we are, we remember those moments. And, you know, one of the other so groups of people that I very often have in my books is very elderly people and have written about dementia and I, I'm amazed and worked with people with dementia and I'm um, 
I'm amazed often how clearly older people remember those rites of passage moments themselves from childhood. I just think it's very poignant that those moments kind of form the characters of people. And because I'm so much about character, those rites of passage moments are where I kind of find the depth and the layers in my stories. But, you know, when one of the things that I... One of the things that I was really amazed at when I wrote Artichoke Hearts, you know, one of the things that happens to Mira in that story is her period starts. And I didn't, I had no idea this could be, I mean, surely if you're writing about a 12-year-old girl, then a period might be a normal thing to include in the story. In fact, it could be quite a strange thing not to include. <laughs> that being part of her life, that oh, a spot appear, is appearing on her face and her skin is changing. And, you know, it's written through her point of view. So to not include that would seem amazing. And yet it, people were commenting on it. And somebody, I saw a book list somewhere like, you know, books for young people that contain periods. It's like really short, <laughs> the list. I think it's, I think it's greater now. So, so those are the moments that I viscerally remember from childhood. And I think, you know, when you're, if you're doing your job as a writer, you want to kind of connect to, to okay, um, maybe a microcosm of a personal story for a child or, you know, that, that, you're, that you're exploring in the story, but that has, that will resonate to everyone wherever they are in the world. And, um, and those are the moments for me, you know, uh, you know the, the, the starting of school, uh, the first big argument with your uh, best friend, where you, your your heart breaks <laughs> and you think, oh no, you know, I thought I thought I was going to be friends with this person forever. I mean, almost thinking about them now, I'm sort of I'm tearing up because I'm thinking, you know, you've the, just reminded yeah. me of a moment <laughs> when, uh, yes, a so-called best friend yeah. did that to me. Yes. Oh no, <laughs> no, you you don't forget, as you've said, you don't forget, and then having your own children, obviously, you live you live you that. But again. Yeah. but I think all to be honest, I've always. For whatever reasons, one doesn't want to get too kind of you know, <laughs> too too psychological about it or therapeutic about it. But I think a lot of the young people that I I write about feel like they're going through those rites of passage stories, without a societal safety net to kind of echo or reflect. And they a lot of the young people feel alone. And one of the questions that I often ask um, when I do sort of you know talks or festivals or with young people is to say you know have you ever felt like um like nobody understands you and and you know your parents can't or your family or your guardians can't possibly understand what you're going through right now and you go into your room and you slam the door and you you go i don't you don't even know why you're doing it but you write a doodle or you or you write a song or whatever and they all put their hands up immediately and they're like, they're like wow yeah and then i say yeah, God, that's how I felt. And that's what kind of what, that's kind of the gut feeling that I still write from. And um, I don't actually want to lose that sense of outrage that I still have when I, you know, hear something on the radio. And that's another thing I say, you know, do you hear, ever hear something on the radio or something in the news and feel this kind of guttural sense of this cannot be right. This cannot be right. And I think a bit of me by writing for young people stays in that place of, outrage with the injustices that actually was central to my own rites of passage what made me write was that sense of well well why can't this person be included and I just sort of feel like as a human being I don't ever want to disassociate myself 
from that child that was questioning the world. So fascinating talking to you about this because you do sometimes read, you know, reviewers or whoever, you know, commentators being really critical of especially novels for slightly older young people uh, and, and how how dour they are and how, you know, they're, they're quite gritty and there are so many sort of issues at the heart of them. And can't they just sort of read something that's a bit more escapist? But, you know, we know young people are engaged with current issues in a way that many, many adults aren't. You know, I mean, look at the young people who are climate activists, for example. So I wondered to what extent you feel... And I mean, it's amazing this work that so many children's writers are doing, really. Do you, do you feel it as a responsibility? More something you're driven to do, I guess, as you've just, just said. I think, it, I think I don't really see it as a responsibility, but I feel like I meet so many children. You know, the, the young people that won't put their hand up, they'll come up to you afterwards and you'll have a really good conversation. And you'll go, oh, yeah, there's a writer. And it's not that you write a book for that reason, but... You, you kind of put a charge into the story of something you really care about, I think, or a question that you have that you hope conveys to your young readers because they experience something so... They experience everything so... And that's another reason why I love writing for young people. They, they will be so honest in their response to you. And they will, they'll just tell you that, OK, that, that just didn't convey or, well, did you think that? Because that's not what we thought. I mean, I've done so much of my learning as a writer by being questioned by young people saying, well, we really saw that. And often it'll be your first or second sort of time in front of a young audience. And you'll go, oh, my goodness, I've spent two and a half years writing this book and that young person's just told me what my book is about. How slow am I? But then you think about it and you think, oh, yeah, that was the charge. For me, it's about writing something that I feel has an energy that can convey to young people. But also I am, I just don't believe this idea that young people should have a kind of uh, a storytelling that kind of masks where the world is. I think they want to engage with the things. But also I, I have a sort of other thing that I often feel and think because I write a lot about you know refugee experience in my stories and people have said to me oh you know what's writing about these subjects that are sort of dreary or whatever I was like there are more young people traveling the world unaccompanied today than any time in history after after the second but actually I think I mean now it, the UN is sort of saying more young people unaccompanied traveling the world today I was like who do you think that these books are for the kind of scaffolding of my stories is that I'm writing for all young people in a highly iniquitous world. The young people you're talking about are the creators of the future. And that seems to me also a very strong thread through your work. I've been so enjoying reading When Shadows Fall. It's such a complex, multi-layered work and there's there's just so much in it but it's, it's also a book about the importance of creativity it seems to me and I guess it's every child's birthright creativity isn't it and finding your own voice and at the very beginning of the book there's a letter from you to your reader and it finishes this story is in your hands to have and to hold in it you will find the passing of a pen and charcoal to make art from scorched earth 
Take it up and feel its force, for now is your time to fly. So that's a, a very direct invitation to create, isn't it? So when shadows fall, it was always the idea that it could be a creative catalyst for young people in a time where they have been so confined. And I think we saw the inequality of that for different young people. But I think the other thing that we saw was that for some young people, it gave them space to create, to grow, to sit with a piece of music, to, to just take a doodle pen and work out that they loved art, whatever. And I feel like I have written this book in many iterations for over a very long time, but I feel like it has been published at a time when there is this total hunger for young people to find a way to express some of the huge feelings that they have about the times that they've lived through. And the, the arts are such a brilliant space um, for young people to process also some of the things that they have they've been through over these times. So when young people have got hold of When Shadows Fall, they seem to see in, in Kai, he's writing his journal, that there's a lot of young people journaling and starting journaling and seeing what, even just for themselves, what the power of journaling for yourself can do. And then Omid, who arrives in year eight from Syria as a refugee survivor, he expressed himself through art. So art just finds its way through those pages. So just in the form of the telling of that book, there is an invitation. A bit that I read out very often, where at the same time getting young people to, to doodle and draw portraits of themselves or each other. And uh, Omid says, people do not see enough the language of the eyes. So it really is that invitation book. And um, whenever we've been to festivals, We've made these little booklets. And as we've been talking about the book, I've always said this, actually, since Artichoke Hearts, please don't look at me too much because I'm still that shy child, even though I've learned how to kind of overcome that and talk to you. Um, so it's much better if you doodle while I'm talking to you. And, you know, so I always, everyone's always invited to come with a doodle pen and pen paper. And then at the end, they'll sometimes show their doodles from the session and they'll include words that I've used or words that have triggered other words or a little poem that someone's produced or, or an artwork. Anyway, with When Shadows Fall, the portraits that have come and the poems, we've done kind of light and shadow poems. And so some of this has been collected to go into an exhibition for Refugee Week, so people will be able to see it. That's such a brilliant account of I'm just sitting here thinking about a book is a book. It's just a it's just a small object, you know, made of paper with pages, but the places it goes and the effect that it has on people and the creativity that it that it gives rise to. That's just, just extraordinary just hearing you talk about that. It makes me it's very moving to think about the things that books can do as as quite humble objects in a way. They are. And I think that one of the things that I always like to talk about is books. And I often use my I often invoke my dad for this because I always say that I wouldn't be a storyteller without my dad's storytelling. Early on, I understood something about voice that I never learned in stories. You know, my dad, he carried his beautiful accent with him from India. And he, he was of that generation that experienced a lot of racism and every it is in every generation but he used to talk about those experiences and you'll you'll hear that I you know don't speak with an accent of any kind apart from one that might be the one that my dad wanted all, all of us to speak in because he used to say um I want you to have access to everywhere now things have changed a lot since 
time and in regional accents and things like that. But he used to say that. And, and why I'm saying this is because for me, writing that book, it's a collaborative journey. Books don't, they're not written by one person. Okay, the act of writing them is one person. Why I quite like the way that the book is partly drawing, partly poem, partly prose, partly a figure dancing, is because the process is messy. And I, I'm really pleased that I've got to publish a book that actually looks in its form like the messy process of creativity. That's such an exciting testament to, well, just where the ideas that come from a writer's head can go, what the, the what they can produce and where they can go. Sita, it's been such a joy speaking to you and listening to you. Well, talk about how that shy girl became such a, an amazing storyteller. Thank you so much. Thank you. We aim to reflect the views of a wide variety of authors on our podcast, but their views are, of course, their own. Check out more episodes of Authors Matters wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and please join us next time. Goodbye. <laughs>